Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, I'm here today with Congressman Michael Waltz. He represents uh, Volusia and Flagler counties among his uh, District 6 territory, and uh, he's speaking to us today on Tuesday, October 8th. Uh, welcome, uh, Congressman Walsh, sure. to the News Journal building. And um, I wanted to just uh, start out by asking you about, you know, yesterday you came out against the United States pullout of troops in northern Syria. Is it, I, I guess, what's more concerning to you, uh, the, the implications that this could strengthen ISIS and perhaps hurt our Kurdish allies or just maybe the process that t- took place here where the president, you know, surprised the Pentagon and mm-hmm. apparently, you know, uh, made this decision more on his gut than uh, on the advice of advisors. Well, I don't know that I would characterize it that way from a process standpoint. I think the president has been stating uh, and signaling for some time now that he was very frustrated with our involvement in Syria. And, and in fact, I think that frustration according to a lot of reports, led to uh, General Mattis's retirement Mm -hmm. or stepping down as defense secretary. So I don't know that it should have been a total surprise. And it's not, in my opinion, an irrational decision because there is some upside in that our relationship with Turkey is incredibly important. It's been declining since uh, President Obama's time, largely because of our relationship with the Kurds. And Turkey's been sliding more and more towards Russia. So that's that's understandable, but I think there is also a huge risk and a huge gamble that we're taking by pulling back those forces that ISIS can return. ISIS fully intends to return. Mm-hmm. Its leader is still alive, al-Baghdadi. He has publicly called for the remaining fighters who are currently conducting guerrilla warfare in both Iraq and Syria to attack the ISIS prison camps that are currently being guarded by the Kurds to free tens of thousands of ISIS fighters. So if you have a situation where Turkey, who uh, is invading Syria and attacking the Kurds, they're not going to be guarding ISIS, and they're certainly not going to be worried about fighting ISIS. Uh, And I just don't buy into assurances from Erdogan, the Turkish leader, that they will continue to keep uh, ISIS on its back foot and keep the caliphate destroyed. Turkey's worried about the Kurds, period. Mm -hmm. And they are our allies. They did fight with us on the ground, and we do need them to keep ISIS on its back foot. And what we have to to prevent is a a repeat of history in President Obama pulling out of Iraq, which led to al-Qaeda coming back and turning into ISIS and all of the problems that we had since. So it's not an irrational decision on the president's part. I understand people's frustration, but I think a few hundred troops – in the region as a buffer between Turkey and the Kurds and to help keep the lid on ISIS resurging is worth that investment. Yeah, or at the very least, uh, maybe some provisions could be made to figure out how to keep those ISIS fighters who are imprisoned. Well, I think the the president is also right 
to call out our European allies uh, who are doing very little, particularly the French and the Germans and the British, to deal with those refu- ISIS refugees and to deal with many of the ISIS fighters who came from France, England, uh, and Germany. So he's right to be frustrated there and right to call them out. And then there's another d- uh, dynamic in Iran, which has very successfully established a land bridge, if you think about the map, from Tehran through Baghdad and Iraq through Syria and is now creating two fronts against Israel in, uh, from Syria and from Lebanon and is working with the Russians and the Syrian Assad regime to establish bases in the eastern Mediterranean. That's not in our interest either. So, look, if, if the goal is, and the frustration is to pull some of our troops home, I remind people we have over 30,000 still in Germany. We have 50,000 in Japan. We have 30,000 in South Korea. Heck, we even have a battalion still sitting in the Egypt Sinai monitoring the Suez Canal. So if you want to bring a few hundred troops home, I think those we, – we could shave a few there, not uh, where they are directly engaged in a terrorist group that wants to attack America. Uh, earlier you had said that the um, impeachment inquiry is an investigation in search of a crime. Right. The, the transcript of the call between Trump and Zelensky mm-hmm. uh, seemed to be clear, at least in, in as much as the president asked Ukraine to investigate one of his political rivals. Mm-hmm. When you say it's a, an investigation in search of a crime, uh I mean, isn't the crime that a candidate should, you know, would be soliciting foreign contributions or assistance? Um, I mean, that seems like pretty honest. Well, let's. I think we need to. I think we need to be very clear about the transcript. And first of all, I think everyone who reads that transcript is projecting their own intent. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in there does he explicitly ask for help in his 2020 campaign. Uh, does he ask for help going forward? So everyone, I think, with their own biases is is projecting on to those words. But, you know, in, in the wake of President Zelensky talking about uh, foreign assistance and talking about a purchase of Javelin missiles, which they've been purchasing now for several years, which, as a side note, the Obama administration refused to provide the lethal aid to actually stand up to the Russians – the president asked about the servers uh, that were protected by CrowdStrike. I think the president has been loud and clear on his concerns about the origin of the what it turned into the Mueller report. I think he's been loud and clear about his concerns about foreign aid, the, uh, the efficacy of foreign aid, and whether it was being used effectively. He stated those concerns about the Northern Triangle countries in Central America, about Afghanistan, about a number of countries, including uh, Ukraine. So I think people are trying to connect dots there to, f- to fit their own agenda. And then finally, in terms of process and my comment that this is an investigation in search of a crime, the leaders of these investigations, the Democratic chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Nadler, and now Adam Schiff, the head of the Intel Committee, have stated repeatedly that they intend to impeach the president. And if not for the Russia and Mueller probe than now this. So it does seem to many people and many Floridians that I'm talking to, they're incredibly frustrated. They feel like no matter – and these are even people who don't necessarily support the president. They're frustrated at all the things that we're not dealing with. We're not dealing with infrastructure or health care or prescription drugs or immigration reform. 
because we have six committees now in Congress led by Nancy Pelosi that are tied down in these investigations. And I can tell you being up there, it sucks the oxygen out of the room. We can't have these other debates. And you remember, Mark, the health care debate. That's a tough debate. Those are tough solutions. We had protests at town halls. But yet we can't work our way through that as a country and as a Congress because if not this, then it's something else. And I think the Democrats really cried wolf when they went out when they within 24 hours were calling for impeaching Kavanaugh. Then to just have the New York Times correct their story and and then release new very relevant facts. So I think people have heard enough of the cry wolf and they want us to get things done. And then finally. All of this is happening with 13 months left to go to an, to an election. And there's also a lot of Floridians that I'm, t- that I'm talking to. And, and if you don't like the president's policies or you don't like him personally, then let's nominate. They can nominate someone and beat him at the ballot box. Uh, that's our system, and I think that's what we should be following. You mentioned Adam Schiff mm-hmm. uh, and his potential for being prejudicial on this matter. Trump recently uh, said that uh, nervous Nancy and little Adam Schiff should face their own impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors and even treason. Um, I guess there is a motion out there to censure Adam Schiff. Yeah. Um, Where are you on – would you support something like that? Well, sitting aside the the high crimes and misdemeanors and treason, I I do not think – Adam Schiff is conducting a fair and reasonable process. I do believe he has an agenda. Uh, We have all seen uh, the video of him, the opening hearing in what should be a hugely consequential and serious endeavor where we have a co-equal branch of government for the third time in our history executing uh, an impeachment inquiry, and he essentially makes up the transcript. Washington Post, I mean, the Washington Post gave him four Pinocchios Mm -hmm. for that lead in. I think that, amongst many other things, not to mention where he pounded the table figuratively, but said that he had seen beyond circumstantial evidence that the president had conducted treason and colluded with the Russians. And we didn't, you know, we had the Mueller probe for two years, 2,800 subpoenas, 500 witnesses, 13 countries. Uh, show that not to be true. So I don't think he has very much credibility. The censure is specifically on how he opened that hearing and essentially made up uh, what the president said. And uh, that is that is a disservice to the American people and certainly doesn't give us confidence. And then finally, I just talked to uh, a colleague today also in the Rep- House of Representatives who's on the Intel Committee who has seen the transcripts from Kurt Volker, who was the envoy to Ukraine. Adam Schiff won't release them. So you have these secret hearings where they state, apparently, I'm told, in the hearing that this nothing in there is classified, but yet they're closed off from the public, and yet Schiff then goes to the microphone and kind of gives his own spin. So my question over to the media is why are there not loud and very vocal calls for him to release those transcripts? Why isn't this a fully open and transparent mm-hmm. process like we had with the Clinton uh, affair and like we had with Nixon. So where are those questions, Mark? I, I would encourage you to ask that of your of your colleagues in the mainstream media. One of the uh, just kind of moving on sure. to your uh, you know your yeah. work in Congress. 
There um, is some getting done despite this dysfunction, I promise. Your uh, One of your bills uh, passed a committee that relates to um, STEM and making, making STEM uh, careers more accessible to minorities. I'm wondering if you could uh, kind of walk me through how this becomes you know a thing how does this become law or yeah. how does this does this have to be part of a budget bill well that's the the final legislative path we're still working on but the first big step is to get it out of committee and 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 you know on the one hand I'm uh, you know I just told you the big reforms like immigration and healthcare are not getting done and that's a shame and that's a disservice but but some of these smaller things are, and I committed to you and my constituents and others uh, that I was not afraid to work across the aisle. I was not afraid to compromise. I was there to get things done for this community. One of the things uh, that I'm co-sponsoring uh, with the Democratic Chairwoman of the Science, Technology, and Space Committee uh, from Texas, uh, Chairwoman Johnson, is a STEM bill that's focused on minority-serving institutions. And the issue is, number one, uh, that's the economy of the future. Uh, the Labor Department estimates we're going to be a million jobs short in the next 10 years in STEM fields. Yet uh, minorities uh, constitute about 30 percent of the of the American population, but only 10 percent of STEM career fields. Career fields. That's a problem, and it's also a problem with women, who obviously constitute 50 percent of our population, but only 30 percent. They're they're hugely underrepresented. And this bill will uh, direct a number of government agencies, one, to get to the bottom of why that is, and then put programs and an action plan in place mm-hmm. to to address it. That goes to the bigger issue, which we've talked about before, of aerospace and this new space economy that I think is going to really benefit this area. Uh, they have to have the workforce, and, and that's not just scientists and engineers – that's people that know how to get their hands dirty and roll up their sleeves and turn wrenches, vocational training, and 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 other types of training. Uh, that's why I've, I've been thrilled to work with Daytona State and uh, and have a vocational roundtable and how we kind of make vocational training and technical training cool again, uh, so that that kids go into those fields when they come out of high school and they can have fantastic benefits and fantastic jobs mm-hmm. another uh success i would say legislative success would be you apparently got a, an amendment into representative mass water quality mm-hmm. bill um i'm wondering what if you could just maybe describe what this does for the indian river lagoon well if you if you recall uh in the last few years there have been a number of uh harmful algae blooms these green toxic green algae we had the red tide issue as well, but I think that's related but separate. But the algae blooms really hit South Florida hard. Mm-hmm. Um, people couldn't go in the water. They couldn't even they couldn't even go in boats in the water. They couldn't sell their homes because the toxic fumes were so nauseous. Uh, so you have these beautiful waterfront homes uh, where you can't even go outside. And we're starting to see evidence of the algae blooms spreading through the Indian River Lagoon and even into the St. Johns River. Uh, the MAST bill uh, directed a number of federal agencies to put some empirical data behind why that's happening. Uh, the problem was it excluded most of the Indian River Lagoon, and my amendment, which, we, again, we, we were able to get unanimously get through committee, and now the full bill has been passed through the House, included all of the Indian River Lagoon so that we, so that we weren't inc- uh, excluded from that. And, and that, you know, that could have been – 
a relatively minor oversight with huge implications uh, for the region because Indian River Lagoon is obviously critical to the regional economy. Okay. Uh, did you happen to know that your fellow committee members were going to use you as the victim in their deep fake technology <laughs> video? We, 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 we got a heads up, but I'm glad that, um, that again, working across the aisle, Chairwoman uh, Mickey Sherrill, uh, Democrat uh, that runs the committee, highlighted this technology. Essentially, it is using artificial intelligence to alter videos uh, so that it's your face, it's your likeness, it's your voice saying anything. Right, it could be Mark Harper screaming, "I love Donald Trump," you know, as loud as uh, as as loud as you can. In in this case, they had me as a Green Beret yelling, "Go Navy, beat Army." Mm-hmm. Um, but if you think about how that can be used and abused in business for competition and politics to alter our elections, uh, it's really unnerving and really scary. The Chinese and Russians both have this capability. Uh, and what we're working on is some regulatory fixes. Do we look at mandating certain technologies so that we can very quickly detect these deep fakes you know, as they occur? You can imagine waking up and overnight something's gone viral that wasn't you. Uh, there's even things as, as sick as uh, having certain celebrities look and appear to be fully naked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can go viral in videos that would that would be hugely damaging to people's reputation before they could sure. kind of get their arms around it. Uh, so that would be technology that the the like the Facebook user could use, or would it be more on the end of the? Well, Facebook number itself? one, it's requiring certain markings for a lot of these social media platforms. For as you upload videos, okay. that they get marked in a certain way. That that uh, don't ask me too many in depth questions on okay. how the technology works. But we had engineers there that that basically said it's relatively easy if used on the front end. Yeah. The question is, will industry adopt it on the front end? Will we wait until there's some kind of hugely embarrassing crisis, yeah. or will we mandate it? You know, from from the government side, and that's what we're working through. Yeah, well, that definitely seems like something. That but it's digital marking technology that can pretty easily be detected or detected if it's altered. Yeah, that that could be a real concern in the 2020 election. Um, you know, speaking of elections, you and Representative Murphy mm-hmm. uh, jointly, I think, proposed an elections hacking bill that I guess would require yourselves or lawmakers to be notified when right. elections offices are breached. Um, is there a, at this point is there a good reason why we in Florida don't know which counties? elections offices were yeah, that's a great question and one that both she and I have repeatedly asked at the FBI and the DHS I could tell you their explanation uh, not that I agree with it the explanation is that the they've extended their basically what they call their victim protocol over the county election officials out of fear that if county election officials are you know kind of publicly known or outed when they or their employees make a mistake like k- clicking on a phishing email or allowing you know some type of bad hyper or cyber hygiene that that uh, you know allows a hacking that they won't voluntarily provide that information anymore they'll be too nervous to and uh, provide that to the FBI and DHS but our point is that the victims not county officials or election supervisors, the victim's the voter, mm-hmm. and that the voter needs to know uh, and have confidence that the vote that they cast was counted and counted in a way that 
that they intended and that their uh, that their information in the voter databases was not altered. You could imagine a situation where the voter database was hacked and you change – you scramble all of the last names so that when you show up with your ID, it doesn't match. Well, what if you did that only by gender or only by race or only by a certain geography because you wanted to skew the election in a certain way? Uh, that's really unnerving. So what the bill – at a very basic level, just mandates that Congress, state election officials, and other appropriate officials are notified when this happens. We found out that the two counties were hacked by the Russians in the 2016 election in 2019 Mm -hmm. as a footnote in the Mueller report. Otherwise, we would have never been informed. Uh, And that's, you know, frankly, that's not acceptable. So Congresswoman Murphy and I are working to get that bill through from a notification protocol. And then there's other important steps that are going on. I've been briefed by NSA. They have a chief elections officer. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security does. Uh, one of the things that they've improved since 2016 is getting security clearances down at the state and the county level. It, it is much better, but we still have a long way to go. We have over 9,000 counties in the United States, and they all have different protocols, different levels of staffing different systems and vendors that they're using, but it's something that we're working hard on. You think voters can be a little bit more confident that the election in 2020 will be on the up and up? I think so. Uh, 2018 was much better. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that uh, the intelligence community is doing now is is, uh, taking what they call an active defense posture which means if these trolls or hackers, we spot them in Europe or Asia or other places, we are actually going abroad and shutting them down through mm-hmm. cyber means yeah. and taking more, much more of kind of an aggressive posture of defend forward, as they call it. And that seems to have worked. But again, uh, all the Russians tried to get into databases or systems in all 50 states in 2016. They weren't as active by all means in 2018. That doesn't mean they won't be in 2020 with a much higher stakes presidential election. The other piece, just to distinguish, there's two sides to this. One is actually hacking into the systems. Mm-hmm. Two is what what they kind of propaganda, right. right? And that's using that's using social media and trolls and and really trying to hype certain issues mm-hmm. uh, around certain candidacies, and that is still ongoing. Uh, and that's where the social, big social media providers, Facebook, YouTube, and others, uh, Twitter, need to step up and take more of an active role to shut that down when they see it. I guess I'm going to make this last question. I understand you're getting ready to introduce a bill call, uh, calling for national service, right. one of your campaign promises. Mm-hmm. Are you finding support among your colleagues for this, and can a big idea like this get somewhere when you're headed into an ele- you know an election year? I'd like to think so. Okay. Uh, uh, the colleagues that I have talked to are very supportive. I co-founded a caucus called Four Country that's comprised of Democrats and Republicans that are all veterans. They're all post-9-11 veterans. We're talking about expanding that to law enforcement and other types of national security fields because because of the ethos that we bring. Downrange, nobody, nobody cares you know, in the foxhole or the ship or the plane about – about uh, what party you come from or social economic background or race or religion. And you know, we can disagree about how to get to A to B, but we're all trying to get to the same place and move the country forward. And I th- 
you know, certainly amongst those groups and people who have served, they know the value to them of learning at a very young age, leadership, followership, teamwork, discipline, right place, right time, right uniform, all of those life skills that we learned by going into the service early on. But importantly, the social economic benefits of working with people that and other Americans you may not have grown up interacting with from whether you're from Detroit or L.A. or West Georgia or North Florida. And the the quote that I always give is what, what a veteran told me, uh, an older veteran coming from the segregated South. The first African-American he ever spoke to, ever said a word to, was his bunkmate in the Navy at 18 years old, and they became lifelong friends. So that kind of societal forcing function is missing, and I think if we can get back to that, we'll be a better country. Programmatically, a lot of the programs exist in many ways. I think they need to be better marketed. Uh, better funded and with some tighter parameters, things like Teach for America and AmeriCorps and the Peace Corps and the FEMA Volunteer Corps. Uh, and that's what were those kind of programmatics that we're working through so that everyone is comfortable that the tax dollars will be used effectively and that we get those good results like we get out of the military. We're also taking a harder look at junior ROTC programs. Uh, in conjunction with STEM and STEM training and all of the goodness that they provide in at the high school level before you even graduate. But the bottom line, Mark, is you know, I want to move us towards kind of a societal expectation that you graduate high school, you go serve and learn those life skills, you get what we're calling a national service GI Bill type of benefit. won't be the same as the military GI Bill, but something close – and then go off to vocational training or college or, or you know, an apprenticeship or whatever direction you want to go. But you go back into society with those important life skills. So it could be tied to some of these higher education proposals that we – Well, not hear. to sound overly partisan, but it frustrates me and a lot of people that I talk to. The Democratic presidential candidates are talking about just giving college away. My position is, well, let's get some community service and some national service for that. Mm-hmm. and all the life skills and societal benefits that you get from that service. So I think that's a I think that's fair to expect something for those tax dollars and for that education. All right. Well, I appreciate your taking time to talk with me, Mike. Uh, Sounds good. Good to have you here. Thanks. All right. Absolutely.
just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.